Today we're going to be in Matthew 26, and we're talking about uh, when you're going through tough times, it's always kind of good to remember that you're not the only ones that are going through tough times. And so this is one of those moments in our nation's history. It's kind of unprecedented. Nothing like this has ever happened before. And so now we're having to figure out, okay, what is all this about? What, God, what is God teaching us through all this? And it's good to be reminded that there was a time when Jesus was facing a crisis called the cross. And people around him handled it differently. And so today we're going to look at one particular woman who handled it in an amazing way. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to be around a little bit. Now, I made the slides a little larger today, and so hopefully you can read them. I know that was one of the critiques that we had last week. So if we need to make it bigger still, we'll try to do that. But follow along. Let me begin with a story from my, from my adolescence. When I was in senior in high school, I moved to a new school. I went from the city school to the county school, and... Uh, there were uh, a whole new crop of girls there that uh, I, I was interested in. There's one girl in particular. Her name was Kathy, which is a great name. You can spell it with a K or a C. It's just like magical. And Kathy had fair faucet hair and a dazzling smile. And she didn't have a boyfriend and she needed one. And I felt like it was my responsibility to try to fill the void so that she could have the boyfriend that she really, really deserved. And so. It's getting up on Valentine's Day, and I'm thinking through, okay, what sort of gift would make Kathy want to be mine? So, I go to Walmart, because whether you want a bouquet or ammo, Walmart has it all, and so you kind of can figure out what you're going to get her. And I began to try to sort of think through the perfect gift to win Kathy's heart. So I thought about stuffed animal, but stuffed animal is kind of kiddish, and not exactly where I wanted to go with that. I thought about getting her some, you know, some, well, a love article of clothing. I think you know what I'm talking about, a Kentucky basketball t-shirt. And so uh, I was thinking about that, but I wasn't quite sure on the size. And now I have two sisters, and even back in the day, I knew that if you got the size wrong, it really would mess everything up. Too big, too large, too small. You, really, you can't win if you don't get the size just right. So I, I sort of said, okay, I'm not going to do that. Then I thought about perfume. Too many options. There was opium, there was obsession, there was Chanel number no. 5. Walmart had a knockoff called Chanel number no. 10. Their motto was, we're, half as, we're, we're twice as stinky at half the cost. And so uh, I didn't really want to do that. My head was swimming. I don't know if it was from the perfume or, or I don't know what it was. Then I thought music. Okay, everybody loves music. So I thought, hey, how about a Commodore CD? Uh, well, actually, it would have been an 8-track. Uh, a Commodore 8-track. That really would have you know, gotten her the, the, the love flowing because... I'd have popped it in my Datsun B210 as we're driving down the road. I would have sang once, twice, three times a lady. I mean, you, you were going to be one if you heard that song. But then, out of the corner of my eye, it, it struck me. It was almost like God shone a beam of light onto the jewelry counter. Because what says love better than jewelry. Now, I could have gone to a jewelry store, but jewelry stores are for suckers, and I was no sucker, so I went over to the Walmart jewelry counter and began to look to see what I might find Kathy that would cause her to fall in love with me. There were mood rings back in the day. Those were awesome, by the way. The only invention really better than the mood ring is the McRib. Uh, but really, uh, the mood ring was there. It was amazing. Uh, it says, I love you, and I care about how you feel. But then I saw it. What I wanted, I knew, what I knew I should get her. 
it, it, was, it was gold. Um, it was awesome. Uh, it was a golden necklace with a cubic zirconia chip up in the corner. You don't want it in the middle. That's kind of for chumps. No, it was in the corner. And when I selected it, the sales lady said, classy. And I said to myself, classy indeed. And so I had her engrave on the back of it, I love you. And I wrapped it up, and I drove over immediately to Kathy's house. I rang the doorbell. I waited on the front porch. Kathy came to the door. I'll never forget the look on her face. When she received my gift of love, she opened it up. Now, I had certain expectations. What I didn't really expect was the response I got. Uh, uh, it was sort of, uh, she looked stunned, like she'd been tased. And so it was a little bit uh, not what I had hoped for. Uh, there was this sort of uh, awkward silence. And what I wanted to say was, listen, sister, this costs a lot of money. Uh, half a day's wage, the, the cubic zirconia piece really bumped it up, but you're worth it. But I didn't say a thing, I just handed it to her. And after this strange, long, awkward pause, I was expecting a shriek of delight. You know, oh, I can't believe, or wait here while I go get you the gift I'm going to give you. Uh, or um, a long, loving embrace, or promise of marital bliss. I got none of that. I got a polite, joyless thank you. Polite, joyless thank you. Now, I'm thinking to myself, listen here, sister. I didn't go to the Walmart jewelry counter, pick out the perfect gift for you to give me a thank you. Uh, I, I deserve more than a thank you. I, I, deserve, I deserve love. And then all of a sudden it struck me, maybe Kathy wasn't the one. And I wondered to myself, would it be, I don't know, rude to ask her for it back? Because at that moment I was thinking maybe Linda was the one. And this is the nature of young love. We don't know what we want. We don't know what we're doing. And yet we try to give the perfect gift. So, if you found your way to Matthew 26, there's this great story of a woman who finds this perfect gift. Um, we find out from John that it's Mary, but if you don't mind, l let me just read it to you and then we'll kind of break it down in just a second. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, will be handed over to be crucified. Now, honestly, you have to admit, that's kind of a... Kind of a um, uh, it kind of breaks the mood. Uh, you know, hey, I'm about to be crucified. What's really interesting to me is... It seems, it's not the first time Jesus has talked about this, but it seems to me like the disciples are hearing it for the first time or kind of ignoring it. And so when Jesus says, uh, as you know, Passover begins, I'm going to be handed over to be crucified, you'd think that they had never heard this information before. They just sort of ignored it. Kind of like when my car gets to the uh, needing gas stage and uh, you know, the little light comes on and I switch cars with Miriam hoping she'll go get gas for me. I mean, it's kind of that moment in time. They were sort of just... It wasn't information they wanted to hear, so they simply ignored it. But Mary didn't ignore it. So, Jesus is facing a crisis called crucifixion. He's having dinner, uh, we're going to see in just a second, with some of his friends, including his disciples. And there's this, this amazing moment where somebody offers him the perfect gift. So, how do you handle a crisis? Well, the first thing is you have to understand there's a certain frailty to life. We find out at the party, Jesus was in Bethany. That's a town really, really close to Jerusalem where Jesus is eventually crucified. 
Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Understand something. If Simon previously had leprosy, it's because Jesus healed him of leprosy because there's really no other healing, no other options back in Jesus' day. The life expectancy in Jesus' time was between 35 and 40, according to a woman uh, by the name of Sandra Silver. In fact, for years and years and years, 35 to 40 is about all you were hoping to get. Even if you think about American history, um, we didn't uh, know modern medicine very well. I watched a, a documentary about George Washington recently, and he died in 1799, I believe, at the end of the 1700s. And... Um, even then, they were, they were bloodletting. They were, they were taking blood out of his body, which is what he needed to be healed. They, we just weren't very wise in dealing with certain things. And so, for, for, for millennia, people started early. They, uh, they did amazing things early on. Think about this. Alexander the Great, who in 3rd century B.C. Uh, kind of ruled the world, he started leading an army at the age of 20. Charlemagne, who ruled most of Western Europe in the 1700s, started to lead an army at 26. Genghis Khan, who was uh, the master of Asia in the 1100s, uh, started leading an army at the age of 20. Uh, modernity has young men finding themselves while living in their parents' basements until they're into their 30s, and that really wasn't an option back in the day. In, in fact, this life that we have is fragile. This is a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger. You probably know him. He was a, a bodybuilder. He won Mr. Olympia five times. He won Mr. Universe uh, seven times. Uh, was an amazing um, uh, bodybuilder. Uh, he was not an amazing actor. I don't care what you say. Uh, but really, he was an actor. He was also, I think, the last Republican president in California. Uh, so he had this wild, wild success. And a couple years ago, Newsweek magazine did an article, uh, an interview with him. And they asked him about his his life, and he talked about the frailty of his body. Uh, at one time, he was 6'2", now he's barely six feet tall. At one time, he had a 31-inch waist, now it's ballooned to 36. He had a 57-inch chest that's shrunken by uh, more than 12 inches. What once was magnificent now isn't, because that's what happens to our bodies. Listen to a quote from Schwarzenegger. He said, when I stand in front of a mirror and really look, I wonder... What in the world happened here? Or I should say, what in the world happened here? Because uh, that's what, how he would say it. Um, what in the world happened here is life is fragile and frail. And the Bible never tells us anything other than that. Look at what it says in James. You do not even know what happened will happen tomorrow. <laughs> Good grief. Is there a perfect verse for today than to say you will not even know what will happen tomorrow? None of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. Things are changing so quickly in our country. We just do not know. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So, Jesus and his disciples all knew that their life expectancy wasn't long. Um, you think about this. The coronavirus, from what I'm reading, uh, has a, a death rate of between 1 and 2.4%. It's just, it, while that's higher than most things, 1 to 2.4% it doesn't mean like everybody dies. The bubonic plague, that, which happened years ago uh, in the 1500s, uh, killed a, a third of, of Europe. Um, in Jesus' time, any infection, I mean, you could 
Uh, you could get a splinter and it could get infected and that could lead to death. If you had trouble with your teeth, that really was a harbinger for death in Jesus' day. Do you think it would matter to you if you knew your life wasn't going to be very long? Would you take more risks earlier because you didn't have a, uh, as long a life expectancy? I just kind of wonder these things. So here we have, we have a guy named Simon hosting a party, and he has some special guests. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was there. Lazarus is the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha, who is Lazarus' sister, served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. This would be the I'm lucky to be alive party. You have Lazarus, who had been dead and Jesus raised. You have Simon, who had had leprosy, which is a straight ticket to death that somehow Jesus miraculously healed. And then you have this party of people who are probably celebrating, I would think, that they have life. As we go through this season of coronavirus and self-imposed quarantining and all those sorts of things, it really would be wise of us to see what God is teaching us. Where is God moving in your life? Are you using this to gain something? Are you realizing that life is short and I really need to make an investment? Which kind of brings us to the second point, and that is this. Um, honor Jesus with your life. Look at the next verse. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him. And by the way, John tells us that the woman was Mary, uh, Lazarus' sister, came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Um, Jesus was the guest of honor. I don't know if you've ever been at a party where you're the guest of honor. My daughter Mallory's having a, a virtual wedding shower next week. Mallory's getting married in May, and we had had plans that, you know, the, the girls had had plans to all get together, but in um, in Michigan, there is a uh, quarantine. You have to you know, seclude yourself at home order, or as we say in Kentucky, hunker at home. Uh, and so she really can't have people. She's going to have a virtual shower, which is kind of sad. If things don't change, I may have to virtually give her away. Have you ever thought about that? I, I may be on FaceTime as we're walking down the aisle. I have kind of thought about that. And if I can go, do I still have to be, maintain uh, six feet of separation? Uh, I don't know how it's going to be. We, we don't know what is in store for us. But here there's this party and Jesus is the guest of honor and that makes a lot of sense because Jesus had done great things in all of their lives. And in difficulty we have a tendency to forget, hey, Jesus is still doing great things in all of our lives. A few months ago I told you about a practice that I began. Every night before I go to sleep, I try, I try to do this, I don't do it every night, but every night I try to think of five things for which I'm extremely thankful. In difficult times, it's harder to find things for which we're thankful. But maybe what that means is we should have been thankful for the little things all along. And so I'm growing in thankfulness during this season. Well, Mary offers Jesus this gift. Um, it, it was in an alabaster jar. Alabaster could only be found in Egypt. They would hollow it out. It was the best, they thought, for keeping perfume. Um, the contents would have been a spikenard. That is only found in the Himalayan mountains, or at least it was back in the day. And so it was wildly expensive. Uh, 
Not only did you have to transport it from uh, Asia, you had to get it there, process it. It was really expensive. In fact, uh, we're going to see in just a moment that it would have sold for more than a year's wage. Now, I don't know what your year's wage is, but let's just suppose a year's wage is $30,000, $35,000. This one bottle, it would have been 12 ounces, by the way. I brought, a, I brought a, a soda just so you could be reminded of how much 12 ounces is. 12 ounces of this product would have cost a year's wage. It's amazing, actually. Now, Mary wants Jesus to know, through a gift, how much she loves him. And look at these verses. In Mark, it says she poured the perfume on his head. In John, it says she poured the perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And Jesus says about this, that she poured perfume on my body before uh, hand to prepare me for my burial. Why would she even have something this expensive? Well, it was customary when someone came into your home that you would wash their feet, that you would anoint their head with oil, and that you would often give them a little perfume. This was in a time and an era where we didn't have deodorant. Just think about it. Let's just be real. Uh, they didn't smell very well. And so this would make the dinner more pleasant. I want you to think about it like this. If you've ever been around a middle school boy's locker room where they're not showering but they're using Axe Cologne, this is the vibe you need to have. In fact, if you were here, if you were here this day, today, if you were in this room, I had already planned on buying two bottles of Axe Perfume and running up and down and spraying everybody just so you could feel what this felt like. All right? So, you should be thankful that you're not here today uh, to, to feel this. But she offers this amazingly expensive gift. Really, really interesting. Not everybody thinks that's a great idea. In fact, let's go to the next point because the third point is, oh, and by the way, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume because she emptied a 12-ounce bottle of perfume on the head and the feet and probably the robe of Jesus. And it would have been 12 ounces of perfume in a small room, would have been nearly overwhelming. But not everybody found it pleasant. In fact, the third thing we have to do in a crisis is resist selfishness. Look, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? What Mary found, uh, saw as the perfect gift, others saw as waste. Super interesting. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Honestly, they had a valid point. That money could have been used for something else. Uh, kind of reminds me of the stimulus package that was just passed. It's like, good grief, why are we giving this stuff? Why don't we just give it to people that really need it? And so we have a tendency, don't we, to complain when things don't go the way that we think they should. And then it, and John makes a point about Judas, because he's one of the complainers. In fact, he's probably the lead complainer. Now, that Judas, not that Judas cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some of it for himself. And Judas knew where this was going. They were about to enter Jerusalem. 
I would think Judas had already considered that he was going to betray Jesus. He was going to get 30 pieces of silver for that. If he could have gotten this money, he would have been set for a while. His hopes of being part of the kingdom of God, being a leader in the kingdom of God, they were kind of going away. And so um, Judas was looking out for himself. He, he was uh, trying to sort of pad the books. He was uh, trying to make sure uh, if nobody else got theirs, he was going to get his. That This is what happens when we have fear. There's a negativity that sort of runs rampant and selfishness. We see it with the hoarding of toilet paper, for goodness sakes. Why in the world are we doing that? It's as if I'm going to get mine whether anybody else gets theirs or not. It, it's not so bad, I guess, with toilet paper, but we see it in uh, baby formula and diapers, and there are people that really have this need for these things, and we hoard it. It's because negativity and selfishness feed off fear. One of the pieces of advice I would give you as your pastor is stop watching so much news. It is negative. It is not everything you hear is true. I have done so much better the last week because I just don't read the news very much. I'll get on there a little bit because I need to stay informed. But my word at the beginning of this thing, I was pouring over it all the time. And it just isn't good for our souls. Negativity, uh, in uh, the, the seeds of negativity get into our lives and they just sort of sprout. And we're negative about everything. Look, this, this is dangerous what we're facing. But... but we in America have faced things like this before. The Great Depression, I don't know if you know this, lasted about 11 or 12 years. The stock market crashed, uh, 25 to 30% unemployment rate in America. And yet we're still Americans, and we're still in America, and that was 100 years ago. We can get through these things, not quite, but nearly 100 years ago. On the heels of, of the Great Depression, as soon as, kind of, as soon as it was over, World War II begins... It's not as if we're on firm foundation at that point, and yet we take on the greatest threat that maybe had existed up until that point. It is an amazing thing that we get through things. God helps us get through things. This isn't going to end us. Miriam, Elise, and I watched a movie the other day called The Diary of Anne Frank, and it's, it was on the Turner Classic Channel, and so it, it was, it's an older movie. And, and it's really kind of long, and I, I don't know that it was the greatest movie I've ever watched, but it did remind me that there were people. Anne Frank, was when she wrote her diary, was 13 years old. And she and her Jewish family and other friends, eight of them, lived in an attic hiding from the Nazis because if they were found out, which they were, by the way, at the end, they would be sent to a concentration camp. We don't, we're not facing anything like that. And so it's good to gain perspective. On the good side, I heard a, about a young man the other day. He was at Costco, and, and this older woman, this elderly woman was checking out, and the, and the lady said to her, did you find everything you were looking for? And the elderly woman said, no, I couldn't find any bread. And the young man right behind her said, take uh, this loaf of bread. And if you see anything else here that you need that's in my cart, you take it. See, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. We don't hoard and we don't, uh, we, we don't, uh, we're not negative. We know God has this under control and while we, we're concerned, 
while we sometimes feel helpless, we never really feel hopeless. Because our hope isn't found in our government or in a system. Our hope is found in Christ, which leads me to the fourth point, and that's this. We have to think long term. Look at Jesus' response. This woman, Mary, she offers us great, this great gift, the perfect gift to show I love you, and yet she is, there is negativity toward her. And Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. You see, the thing about that perfume is, as long as it stayed in the container, it really wasn't good for anything. Now, it was valuable, but it becomes more valuable when it starts to be used. And we, who are followers of Christ, have this opportunity to use the gifts that we've been given during this crisis time. And maybe the greatest gift you can give somebody is to be calm, or to be positive, or to say something that will be uplifting, or to help. This is a time for for Christians to really, really shine. And I want you to think about this. When she poured uh, this perfume on Jesus' feet and she wiped it with her hair and the house was filled with this aroma, everywhere Mary went, she smelled like Jesus. See, the Bible talks about this. We love because He first loved us. We act a certain way because Jesus acted a certain way. We do certain things because Jesus did certain things. And in this kind of crisis, sometimes we worry so much about what we can't do. I can't do this, I can't do this, our church isn't big enough to do this. Never worry about what you can't do. Mary couldn't keep the Jewish leaders from falsely accusing. accusing Jesus. She couldn't she just couldn't keep him from doing that. She couldn't keep the soldiers from crucifying him. She couldn't keep the crowd from mocking him. She didn't worry about what she could do. Did you notice? Jesus says she did what she could. This kind of ointment, this kind of this spike nard was often given to a a daughter of a Jewish parent as part of a dowry. And she was willing to offer that to Jesus so he would know before he went to the crucifixion that she loved him. Today in the room here, we don't have many people. My buddy uh, Jeremy Brown is in here. And uh, his mom passed away yesterday. And I would guarantee you that she went into eternity knowing that her family loved her. Well, Mary was going to prove to Jesus, without a shadow of a doubt, that she loved him. Mary made certain. And I often wonder how long that aroma lasted on Jesus. I wonder if when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, now she had anointed 12 ounces, remember 12 ounces, that's a lot. 12 ounces of this spike nard was on his hair and in his beard and on his feet and it would certainly have penetrated into his clothing. And there he is at the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and I wonder if he smells the fragrance of love. 
And then he's arrested. And I wonder if the guards could smell this smell of love. And he was questioned by the high priest and the Jewish council and Herod and Pilate. And I wonder if they could smell the smell of love. And Jesus was carrying his cross after he was beaten to Calvary. And there was a guy named Simon of Cyrene who had to help him carry the cross. And I wonder if Simon smelled the fragrance of love. And the soldiers crucified Christ and they gambled for his garment. And I have no doubt that they could smell Mary's gift of love. And while Jesus hung on the cross, his mother and John and others were there, and I suspect that they could smell this offering of love. And I wonder if people ever smell the fragrance of love of Jesus on me, how I treat people, what I do. So as a spiritual exercise this week, again, this is a crazy week and who knows what's going to happen, but this week, why don't we give something to Jesus that's extravagant? Maybe it's your time. You got time. You ain't got nothing but time, hardly now. Maybe now is the time to begin to read your word. Start in the New Testament. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at all that Jesus has done. Maybe now is the time to give him a little bit more time. It's a great gift, it's extravagance. What if it's your wealth? Maybe you have things that you can give to others. And I, I know many of you have offered, and thank you for that. And when we hear of needs, we're going to let you know, those of you who have told us to do that. But maybe this is a week where you can give something. Maybe it's your attention. Perhaps God slowed all of us down so we would stop going so fast. So many directions. Maybe our kids need our attention. One of the things I'm thankful for is I'm spending more time with my wife and Elise while we're home together. Maybe it's patience. I think that's one of the greatest things you can give a person is to be patient. Now, let me end with one thing. And, and this was amazing to me, and I, I wanted to share it with you. The, the reason, perhaps, that Mary chose spikenard it has a chemical in it. I don't know if you can read that, but it's called uh, sesquiterpene. sesquiterpene. Um, it's a, a chemical. In fact, um, now we know that this sesquiterpene oxygenates the brain. Studies have shown that it promotes relaxation and has a calming effect. <laughs> just think about it just for a second. Jesus is at a party two days before his crucifixion, and Mary offers him something to calm him. <laughs> I've never thought about Jesus needing to be calmed. But we saw when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, it said he was in great agony. I think about the gift. Mary knew what Jesus was facing, or perhaps the disciples really never listened to Jesus, but Mary did, and she understood what was coming up. I think it is an amazing gift. And in a time where people aren't very calm, those of us who know Christ, one of the greatest gifts we can give them is calmness. 
I know inside you might not be calm. There's a lot of moving parts. A lot of things are up in the air. We don't know what tomorrow holds. In fact, I can finish preaching now. I can go and look at my, the newscast and see things might have changed dramatically in the 30 minutes I've been talking to you. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that a day later, Jesus says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So if you need a verse today to help you, I would point you to this verse. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Be calm in the midst of a storm. Nothing's happening. There's things happening we don't anticipate. Nothing's happening that God doesn't anticipate. Let's pray together. And we're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for um, our community. We're going to pray for our economy. There's a lot of things that we really need to pray for. And then at the end, I'm going to show you once again about um, how you m- might give to church if you uh, feel compelled to do that. But let's pray together. Father, we are humbled. We're just humbled that you, you know these things and you tell us to not let our hearts be troubled And as we face uncertainty, thank you for offering us a voice of calmness and of power. Father, we pray for our leaders. We ask that you would give them wisdom. Lord, please help them work together. It's disheartening, frankly, when we look at two parties and they won't... You'd think this is a big enough deal where they could agree on some things, that they could put aside pettiness and that they could just work together. Help them work together. Help them lead us by working together. Father, thank you for the opportunity as Christians to give the gift of calmness to our families, to our coworkers, to our community. Lord, help us not be overwhelmed. We ask that you'd be with those who are serving the sick, the doctors, the nurses, each one who will have to deal in these situations. We pray that you would provide healing, that it would be quick and complete, that the shutdown would would be over soon and that we could get back to work. Lord, even that is in your hands. We love you and we trust you. and We ask that you would guide us through, through the valley. It's just a season. Help us be reminded of that. We pray this and we ask this and we humble ourselves before you. Teach us everything you want to teach us in this season. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, There are ways to give, and if you look at um, the screen um, on our website, you just click give, and that's kind of a a way to give uh, one time. You can mail a check in. You can bring it in person. Our doors are going to be locked here at the the church, but um, there's a little gap between the doors, and you can just sort of stick a check in there, and we, we come pretty much every day, and so we'll make sure those get collected if you want to bring something by. Um, I said, I believe early on, that we've planned a couple of things to be special for Easter. 
And so we'll tell you about that next week because uh, we really don't know if we're going to be here for Easter or not. But uh, if we're not going to be here for Easter, we have something planned that will be um, uh, unique and, and make it special. And so we're excited about that. Hopefully we don't have to use that. We'll all be together. But if we're not, we do have some ideas around making um, Easter special for you and for your family. Thank you for watching today. Um, we had a great response last week, and uh, if you have uh, uh, comments or things to say, please let us know those things. Uh, God bless you, and have a good week.